I'd like to open the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Verse 1. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chebar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzzai, by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Now, just at the very end of the ministry part of the conference, I would like to speak on the book of Ezekiel. And what I would like to trace in this book for a few minutes is some of the recurrent themes that we have in the book of Ezekiel. I admit that it is a part of the Bible that perhaps we do not read a lot, but there are several themes in the book of Ezekiel that should be of great interest to us. So with God's help, just for a few minutes, we're going to take a look at these recurrent themes. Now I'm just going to say a little something about Ezekiel himself. He was a priest. He was a priest in Israel, and no doubt he had taken some training in this work that he was going to do. But at the age of 25, he was carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. So when we read about the 30th year in verse 1, I believe it's when he was 30 years old. He had been in Babylon for five years. It must have been a very uh, shocking experience for him to be taken away from the temple in Jerusalem to a a country, to a place that was absolutely filled with idolatry and all manner of evil. To any person's soul, it would be a trial to be in an environment like that. I think we we have experienced in in some areas of our lives what it means to to be amongst unbelievers and we being the only Christian in the place. It's a lonely experience. It's a trying experience at times. And in some parts of the world, it, it, it even results in persecution. So here we have a man and his hope, his, his future, his, his ambition would have been to be a priest 
in God's service. His father was a priest. And he was, he was of that, that priestly family. I might be speaking to somebody today who is disappointed. We've been hearing about trials, the trials of a Christian, but perhaps you're just feeling a sense of disappointment. You can relate, I think, to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a younger contemporary of Jeremiah. Their message, the two prophecies, are very, very similar in their message to Israel. They were predicting, they were predicting God's discipline on the nation of Israel. And by and large, because of those predictions, they were very unpopular people. They did not, the, the nation, the people of Israel did not want to hear what they had to say. They didn't want the warnings. They, they, were, they were at ease. And they, they wanted to just stay that way. And so they were, not, they were not very accepted. It's an interesting point, actually, that Ezekiel, as far as I can see, was never mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. And, and there's only possibly one verse from the prophecy of Ezekiel that is in the New Testament. We're always looking. We're trying to link the New and the Old Testament and to trace out what... Uh, the uh, New Testament writers, what use they are making of Old Testament scriptures. Well, as I said, there's, there, there may be one in Romans chapter 2. And other than that, uh, no references. Now, Daniel would have been in Babylon at the same time as Ezekiel. He arrived in Babylon about nine years before Ezekiel did. But Daniel, remember, he was in the palace. Now Ezekiel does mention his name, along with Noah and Job, two or three times in the, in the book. But we never read of, 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 of Ezekiel actually meeting Daniel in Babylon. I, 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 would, I would have to suppose that he did. He did meet him. But, but Daniel was in the palace. And we, we're reading about a man who was by the river Chebar among the captives. He was sharing their, their disappointment. He was sharing their, their punishment, as it were. And uh, he, he knew what it was to have hardship in his life. I'm impressed here at the conference with the number of young people that there are. And it's great to see a good number of young people. And I'm sure that you are looking forward in your lives to your dream, whatever that might be. You've got a dream, uh, something that you're really striving for in life. And we wish you well. We wish you well whether it's education, to be able to do well, to be able to uh, lay your success, shall we say, at the feet of the Lord in consecration, to be useful in his service, whatever it is, in relationships, in whatever it might be, 
we wish you well. But we remember that God has a plan for your life. And I'm sure, quite sure, that Ezekiel never thought that he would be where he, would, where he ended up. But you know, as we read on, we find out that Ezekiel was very much respected. He was a very, very important man amongst those captives. They called for him. They asked for his advice. They met with him. And it it reminds us of what an individual can do in life. An individual. You say, well, I'm only one person. What can I do? Well, if we look at the life of Ezekiel, we can see uh, a man who was greatly used of God. And so these are just a few uh, thoughts that we have as we look at this first chapter. Now, Ezekiel was going to be commissioned to the work that God had for him to do. Now, the commissioning was rather a bleak uh, affair. We had read on. The Lord said, I'm going to send you to a rebellious people, and they're not going to listen to what you've got to say, but you're going to go anyway as a faithful uh, messenger. Not only was Ezekiel a priest, he was a prophet, and he was a watchman. And God had work for him to do. And Ezekiel did his very best to live in the will of God. He was called upon to do some really amazing things, acting out, physically acting out the, uh, the, the, the scenes of judgment, lying on his side, on his right side for 394 days, typifying the, the period of time that, that Israel had been away from the Lord, and then 40 days at another time. And uh, he, he was told that uh, today your wife is going to die. And he calls her in that She is called in that chapter the desire of his eyes. Probably a a beautiful woman and one that he loved. But, God said, you must not mourn for her. Oh, his wife would die. And sure enough, that night, she did. But it was a picture that God and, and and a... a drama that God had given him to act out, that Jerusalem is going to fall, no question, and there's no use mourning. They, they have it coming. They've wandered far away. And so in his own personal life, Ezekiel met these tremendous, tremendous challenges. But I've said that my, my subject today is recurrent themes. Recurrent themes. And the first one is right in this chapter and in what we have read today. It's the holiness and the glory of God. The holiness and the glory of God. And so right at the beginning, he says, I was among the captives. The heavens were open. I believe that this is the only time in the Old Testament where we read about the heavens being opened. We read, I think it is four times in the New Testament, of the heavens being opened. But here this unique 
vision that Ezekiel had when the heavens were literally opened before his eyes. And he saw this vision, which is called, I saw visions of God. I saw visions of God. Now, many expositors who try to, there aren't that many expositors, but expositors who have tried to to, to describe the vision have taken on a very big job because these are visions of, of God. And for us to try to uh, interpret what is really impossible to interpret, is it would be a huge job. I just want to say this, that right from the very beginning, Ezekiel had dealings with God. Now, you know, when we preach the gospel, we are asking sinners, we're asking sinners to have dealings with God. We're asking them to come to the Lord and to repent of their sins and to turn in faith to Christ. That, that is exactly what we have to do. That's what every Christian has done in their lives. We're asking the unsaved. We ask them even to say, now just don't, don't concentrate on the speaker who's speaking to you, but to be alone with God. Don't think about the person in front of you or that, that one on that side. To get alone with God and to see ourselves as God sees us. This is what we're asking sinners to do. But in my own Christian life, I have to ask how often I have dealings with God. Or do I sort of just cruise along in life. And one day goes on into the next day. And there's seldom a time when I stop and think, how am I doing in my Christian life? Is there any development? Is there any greater appreciation of who the Lord is and who the Savior is? Am I growing? Or am I going backward? But here's a man that although Jeremiah, that mighty prophet, lived in the same city in Ezekiel's life, it doesn't say, well, the word of Jeremiah came to me. And I remember what he told me. And, you know, I had a lot of good advice from him. I think it's dozens of times when the scripture says in the book of Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came unto me. The word of the Lord. We need dealings with God. You know, as we read in the Bible, there are many who, starting out in their spiritual life, had visions. We think of how Stephen tells us over in the in the book of Acts about about Abraham, who, when he was an idolater in Mesopotamia, he saw the glory of God. He saw the glory of God. The word glory is 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 not an easy word to define, but perhaps we could just think of it as the manifest attributes of God, the the greatness, the power, the wisdom of God. And Abraham, what he saw, was motivated to leave his, his people and to leave his country 
and to go out and live a life of faith. We could think of, of uh, Jacob in Genesis 28 uh, that night when he took the stones to be his pillow and he dreamed and he saw a ladder set up from earth to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on that ladder and when he, he, he awoke he said this is a dreadful place. He says God is here and he called the name of the place Bethel. Now it's difficult to translate New Testament experiences into the Old Testament. We always like to, to, to exchange stories about our conversions when we're with each other. And we say, well, I was saved back there and, and uh, we tell the details that led up to it. It's not so easy when we read in the, New Testament, in the Old Testament about the spiritual life of, of the saints in the Old Testament. But I like to think that in Genesis 28, Jacob was saved on that night. His behavior afterwards was, was good. It was exemplary. And he, he sought to live, by and large, for the Lord. And it was, he had a, a pretty good testimony. We can think of Isaiah in chapter uh, 6 of that, uh, that book, where he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his, his confession was that I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And we remember how that coal from the altar was come and touched his lips. And I'm just going to suggest here that these many, uh, shall we say, uh, beginnings of spiritual life in these people could relate to our own conversions, to our own conversions. Well, you say, uh, there was nothing really very special when I got saved. I, I have to say that in my own case. I, I hadn't, I, as a child of 10, I hadn't done very many things that, that were of a vile nature, although definitely I was a sinner. I knew that as I was, I was never going to be in heaven. And that night, I trusted Christ. I didn't, certainly didn't see any visions comparable to what Ezekiel saw, but it was the beginning of the work of God in my own heart. And all these years, anything that is for God, I can say, goes back to that night. It was like a, a push, a push out into a spiritual life. And so we can gather that just from the uh, account we have here. He got a vision of the holiness of God. Now, just moving on quickly. Ezekiel was given a vision of the sinfulness of Israel. He was living in Babylon, but supernaturally, God showed him what was going on in Jerusalem and what was happening in the temple and what the people were doing. It was, it was completely wrong. There was tremendous departure from God in the nation of Israel. They had reverted to all kinds of, of practices 
And I'm just going to, uh, to read from my, my notes here on the list of some of the things that they had done. We can see that from the, the uh, scriptures in chapters 8 and on that they were worshipping idols. They were worshipping animals. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it, as, as far as our own age is concerned? That there are actually people who, who think that, that, that we should have an animal rights movement and so forth. But this was, these were God's people, and they were uh, committing all kinds of, of evil things. They were sun worshippers. They were worshippers of the sun. In one section in chapter uh, 8 and verse 15, we can see that there were 25 men in Jerusalem. They had their back to the temple, and they were audaciously facing out to the east, and they were worshipping the sun. Who were they anyway? Well, it's interesting. They were 25 elders, 25 elders that were audaciously going against the will of God. These were the things that Ezekiel was witnessing. God had brought him in to his own mind and into his own uh, presence and shown Ezekiel these things. And as we read on, we find out that the Spirit of God that had been the, the, the Spirit of, of God that had been in the midst of the people was gradually disappearing. Moving, you know, almost like a bird that flies from one tree to the next tree and on and on and on until the Spirit of the Lord is, uh, is removed from the temple. I'm just going to read uh, from the scriptures here in um, chapter 11 and verse 23. It says, And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city, the Shekinah glory, the manifestation of God's presence for leading and protecting his people is moving away from the temple. Now let's just stop and think about this for a moment and apply it to ourselves. The thing that we crave and what we want is God's presence in our midst. You know, it would be a terrible thing. It would be a terrible thing if our lives got to the point where God really abandoned us. Now, I'm not trying to say that we would lose our salvation or the indwelling spirit of God is removed or anything like that, but there is a possibility that we can grieve God by sinful behavior in our own lives. It's searching. It's searching. Now, I'm not trying to, 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 to paint with too broad a brush. I have met very godly Christians here and, and, and in, in fellowship 
with God, and their lives are are, are really uh, wonderful testimonies of the grace of God. And Ezekiel himself, Ezekiel himself is a godly man living in the midst of all of this. But we dare not consider ourselves immune from doing things that are wrong in our lives. We need to we need to be honest and we need to be willing to change. We need to be willing to change. I'm thankful for the message that was given. The first message of the conference, the unfinished work of Christ and his advocacy and his help in our lives is right here in the book of Ezekiel. Now I'm going to move on quickly to the third recurrent theme in this book. It is the inevitability of judgment. These people were warned. Ezekiel was told to tell them, be honest with them, tell them their judgment is coming. And they they scoffed at it. They really scoffed at it. They said, well, we've been hearing this for a long time and nothing has happened so far. So what's to say that anything is going to happen in the future? Oh, the, we, we, let's look in chapter 12 for, uh, for this. In chapter 12 and verse 22. It says here, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is that proverb that ye have in the land of Israel, saying, The days are prolonged, and every vision faileth. Really, what they were saying in, in, in simple language was, We've heard all of this before. And so far, nothing has happened. So really, there's not a whole lot about this. Now, if there's a young person in our gathering today, and you said, I've heard my mom and dad talk about this and that and about the dire consequences of bad behavior and so forth, but look, nothing has happened so far. So what's to say that it's going to go wrong in the future? If that is your reasoning and you are hearing the word of God, you're in a very dangerous position. God will deal with us. There's no question. Let's just keep reading the 23rd verse. Tell them, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will make this proverb to cease, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say unto them, the days are at hand, and the effect of every vision. And then in verse 28, Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, There shall be none of my words be prolonged any more, but the word of the Lord which I have spoken shall be done, saith the Lord God. And so this we're going to call the inevitability of God's judgment. This is, these are not threats. Sometimes we as parents, we have, we have uh, made the mistake of threatening children and then not carrying out our threat. Really, if we make a threat, we first of all should be very careful about what warnings we give children, and then when we do give them warnings, we should follow up 
and, and, and there's a lesson in all of this for child rearing. But God has said that the re- final results of a life lived carelessly. There's going to be regret. There's going to be judgment. There's going to be reproval. There's going to be loss of reward. There are consequences. Our whole society, our whole society, is giving way on points like this. And as Christians, with the open Bible in our hands, we shouldn't, we should not treat these things lightly. Now, the next recurrent theme is the theme of personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Let's just turn over to chapter 18 for a few moments. In chapter 18, it says in verse 1, the, the word of the Lord came unto me again saying, Here, here's, this, here's this oft repeated, the word of the Lord came unto me. I think it's 60 times in the book of Ezekiel. What mean ye that use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? Saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion any more to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the father, so also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. This little passage, along with many, many other passages in the scriptures teach us about individual responsibility. Individual responsibility. In our society today, heredity is blamed. Oh, well, you know, his father was a, a this or that. What, what else could you expect? Or, or else we blame the environment we say, well, everybody else was doing it, so I would just do, I, I wasn't doing anything that anybody else wasn't doing. The Word of God looks at us differently. Each of us, each of us, individually, is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we are not then going to be able to say, well, you know, my, my best friend did it, so I, you know, I, I, I followed or that, you know, I, I didn't come from a very good background. The, the power of God. Now, I don't want to come across as somebody that's hard about these things. Because, no doubt, environment and heredity do play a role in our human makeup. But the overriding, the overriding factor in a Christian's life is the power of God in our lives. And so we have this clear-cut statement. The soul that sinneth is going to be held responsible for the actions of their own lives. And this is something that I have to face in my life. The choices that I make are my responsibility. And I can't transfer that blame to anybody else. Now just at the end 
of this little talk about these recurrent themes. We have one more that I want to speak about. And I want to emphasize, if possible, and that is the last section of the book of Ezekiel. You know, the last section of the book of Ezekiel is just amazing. It's basically about the restoration of Israel. So everything that I've said now so far, I just want you to, 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 to leave that to one side for a moment. And I want you to think about God's restoration of the nation of Israel. It's still in the future. It's still in the future. We don't believe that, that the, the return of Israel to, to the uh, land of Palestine in 1948 was the return that is spoken in, of in the Bible. That's, that's coming. Their return to their land lies in the millennial reign of Christ. And in between, after the coming of the Lord to the air, there's going to be seven years of tremendous tribulation that is called in the scriptures the, the day of Jacob's trouble when God is going to deal with his people and with the people of the world. And at the end of that period of tribulation, these people, God's people, are going to cry unto God, give us this day our daily bread. Protect us. Help us. Today, Israel is relying possibly on nuclear weapons to hold their enemies at bay. But then it will be their complete uh, dependence upon God. And the Lord will come to their rescue and he will deal with their enemies. And they will enter in to a kingdom where the man upon the throne is God's man and where the land will be theirs divided according to his will and where there will be a glorious temple that will be filled with the Shekinah glory of the Lord of, of, of God you know the first temple the first temple Solomon's temple the Lord came down in the inauguration of that temple and the temple was filled with the glory of God. It was a tremendous day in Israel's history. And they had 40, 400 years of temple service until finally Nebuchadnezzar sacked the city of Jerusalem and raised the, the temple. And their life came to an end in that temple. And the times of the Gentiles started and they've rolled on and Israel has been dispersed among the nations and they've never been unified and they've never had a king since then. That was in Ezekiel's time. We read about, about the city falling in chapter 23 of Ezekiel. But the 
millennial reign is called by Peter on the day of Pentecost the, the restitution of all things. Everything that is wrong in the world today will be right then. In Ephesians, it's called the dispensation of the fullness of times. And it will be a glorious, glorious kingdom. And Israel will be restored. I just want to say this, that the work of restoration, the work that God does in the lives of people. We think of Peter, who clearly and flagrantly denied the Lord three times. He was restored. He was restored. Definitely. Just imagine what happened in his life after restoration. How brave and bold he was on the day of Pentecost and afterwards. Here's this man that that said, I don't even know. I don't know who who he is. He was restored. He was restored. I just want to leave you with this. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, If any man, any person, be overtaken in a fault, We don't have any idea what that fault was that's referred to in that chapter. If any person be overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering yourselves, lest ye also be tempted. What a tremendous thing it would be to be a person, to be a Christian that could help in the restoration of other Christians. Wouldn't it be great to do that? We read about it being God's work. He restoreth my soul. But in closing, I want to read one verse at the end of Ezekiel, the very last one. And the the chapter started with a vision, and it closes with a vision at the end. It says, describing the city, it was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. They were completely restored by God's grace.